Amen. Our text today is Psalm chapter 42. If you have a Bible and like to follow along with us, we'll print the text also on the screen. As I said earlier in the uh, welcome time, a special message today for our moms, but not only for uh, our mothers, but also for all of us, for every one of us, because as the song so aptly and powerfully uh, spoke to us just a minute ago, that we will face difficult times, times of hardship, times of pain and temptation. And I just made a list in my notes of some of the things that we are experiencing as a, as a culture, as a nation, really as a world, and I've described these on a macro level. These are some of the things that you read about and that you hear about, things like this, earthquakes killing thousands, a distrust of those who are in authority, racial strife, human trafficking, senseless murders, violence in our streets, battles with terrorists, refugees fleeing in hopes that they could find safety, and the list can go on and on. We do live in perilous and troublesome times. Just trying to get my bearings right up here. Sounds, Chris, are we okay with the sound? You good? Are y'all good with the sound? Okay. You say, well, Pastor, are you okay? Not really. I, I don't know what it is. I, it just sounds, sounds funky. Sounds funny. So, amen. So, so ADD kicking in here. So, get back to my sermon. Think about Martin Luther when he wrote these words, but the Spirit and the gifts are ours through Him who with us sideth. You may not be in, uh, overwhelmed like some of us are currently with some of the macro tragedies that are going on. You say, well, preacher, I, I can't even really focus on that because deep within my own heart and my own soul and my own family, there are all kinds of tragedies and, and dis, you know, disappointments and difficulties. And so today I'm so honored, so blessed to be able to share this message with you from Psalm 42, simply entitled, It Is Well. It is well uh, with my soul. And the reason we can say that with the psalmist is because of the grand, powerful statement that he makes, not only in verse 5, but also in verse 11, and then again in 43.5. I love it when the Bible uh, repeats itself. And you'll notice in the public, you'll notice in the public reading of our text that Verse 5 and verse 11 are almost identical. And then when you read over in chapter 43, you see the same verse printed. Listen to this now. Same psalmist, one of the sons of Korah, he, he mentions this word about hoping in God, trusting in God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? And three different times he says, let us hope, let us trust in God. So let me, let me read the entire psalm, chapter 42. It says, as the deer pants... For the water brooks, so pants my soul for Thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? Let me say that again. In verse 3, they, they only say it once or twice, but they say it ongoingly, perpetually, continually, habitually. They say, Where is your God? In the midst of all that you're going through, where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. I used to go with the multitude, and I went with them to the house of God when the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. So why are you cast down, O my soul? 
And why are you so disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore I will remember you from from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. And I wonder if Horatio Spafford had these words before him when he wrote the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, when he read these words, All your waves and billows have gone over me. Sorrows like sea billows roll. The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night His song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me, look at this church, verse 10, again it says, and they say to me, not not sparingly, not intermittently, not occasionally, but they say to me continually all the day long, in your time of strife, in your time of trial and discomfort, where is your God? And look what he says in verse 11, what he said in verse 5. Hey, listen, don't you love it when the Bible repeats itself? I think the Bible was written for people like me with all kinds of uh, ADD and I get easily distracted and so forth. And it's like, okay, in case you missed it the first time, I want to say it again so that you make sure that you know it, that it's deeply embedded in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. Do not forget these words. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, yil, is the Hebrew word. In the nephil, in that Hebrew tense, it's, it's almost he is saying it to himself. And by the way, it's an imperative verb in the Hebrew. Hope in God, the, the Hebrew word yil, you know what it means? It means to wait with expectancy. To wait on God, not in helpless despair, but wait on God with a riveted expectancy that God will come through. No matter what, God will come through. My response is, I have to trust, I have to hope, I have to wait on Him. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. And then in 43, 5, why are you cast down, O my soul? Some of you are going, well, why does He keep saying that? Because you need to hear it. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. What I want to do this morning is I want to walk with you through this this psalm, Uh, this psalm that that means a lot to us, especially in times of of disquietness, in times of tribulation and trial. We're going to look, first of all, at the struggle that the psalmist is experiencing. And we really don't know uh, the exact reason why he is struggling so so powerfully. It it could be an illness. It could be that he feels abandoned by God. It could be that his adversaries, his opponents are persecuting him. He's he's going through a valley, and those who don't know God and those who are opposed to God come to him and say, oh, where's your God? I mean, where's the God that you say that you love? Where's your great rock? Where's the God who said he would deliver you? And by the way, it sounds like the heavens are as brass. It looks like the heavens are, are silent. Where is your God? And with antagonism, they ask him, that rhetorical question. And so I don't know what his struggle is, but I know what his solution is. His solution, he says, is God. But then finally, I want us to notice today the resolution. And there's a difference between knowing the solution and applying 
that knowledge of the solution and making it a resolution. In fact, that may be the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge knows, but wisdom that is applied, that's true knowledge. Knowledge knows, but when it is applied to our particular situation, then it, then it becomes that majestic thing called wisdom. So let's look at it in verses 1, really verses 1 through 11, the whole, the whole psalm, he, he talks to us about his struggle. And I've tried to, uh, to recapitulate it for you, to summarize it for you in, 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 in my way, and here, here's what I have in my notes. He is restlessly unsatisfied. He is thirsty for God. Oh, as the deer pants for the water brook, for the stream, so my soul pants. It, it longs for you, O oh God. He wants to know when will his case be heard by the heavenly judge. He is in tears. He is being antagonized by his opponents. Verse 3 says, they taunt him, where is your God? And, and, and some of you can experience, I mean, you, you can relate to that. Not only do you sympathize with that, you, you empathize with the psalmist here. And it goes on to say he's saddened because the days of worship are a thing in the past. He is cast down. The Hebrew word S-Y-H, it means to be dissolved. Why are you cast down? Why are you dissolved? And the word literally means to be melting away. And this word disquiet, to be disquieted, it also has the connotation of the fact that you are moaning or there, there's a roaring in your soul. There's a disquietness in your soul. And he describes it in this, this beautiful way, like sorrow. My, my sorrow is like the sea billows that, that roll. I, I looked up that word, billows. It means the waves. They, they are lapping over my soul. And if you've ever been in water and almost lost your life in water like I have, two times I almost drowned, probably should have drowned twice in my life. And when I was in that struggle of the water, once was in a lake and once was in an ocean, and I was caught out in a current in a riptide, and the waves would lap over my body and pull me a little further out. And the more I struggled, the more I tried to get to the shore, the more the waves would lap over me and pull me. I did not know, or if I did know at 17 years of age, I certainly forgot, that you do not beat a riptide by going to the shore, you beat a riptide by going parallel to the, to the shore. By the way, that's free for any of y'all ever get caught in water. Brother Danny can save your life, all right? Don't, don't fight it. Don't try to fight it. And really, there's probably a spiritual parallel there. Don't, don't try to fight it. Just kind of go with it and allow the Lord to, to rescue you. Think about Horatio Spafford, and most of us are familiar with his powerful song, his hymn. Thank you, Christian, uh, for singing that. It is well with my soul. I've known the story. But I didn't know all the story until just this past week. Horatio Spafford had four daughters, and he and his wife were very blessed. They were successful. They, he was an attorney in Chicago. But uh, as an attorney in Chicago, he, he made a very unwise investment. How did he know? How could he ever know that to put that much money in the city of Chicago, that it would literally go up in flames? There's something known as the Great Fire of Chicago, Illinois in 1871. 
In 1871, rumor has it, myth has it, but we, we don't know exactly what happened. Some people believe a cow knocked over the little lantern of the, in the barn, and the, and the fire began as a small little ember, and then it ended up in a mighty conflagration, and most of the city of Chicago was destroyed by fire in 1871, and Horatio Spafford had just put lots of money in real estate into Chicago. In 1873, him and his family were going to take a vacation. They were going to go on a cruise. Yes, they were cruising in 1870s. In 1873, he put his wife and his four daughters on the boat and had them sail off into hopefully just some serene, calm waters to get away from the struggle. He was supposed to be on that boat, but he decided at the last moment not to get on the boat with them because he was dealing with some zoning, land zoning issues in Chicago two years later stemming from the fire in 1871. Many of you know the story. He receives a telegram, and it's from his wife. <laughs> and she says, all have perished, saved alone. All have perished, saved alone. In other words, he, she was communicating. Anna, his wife, was telling Horatio, our four daughters have drowned, they have died, and I alone am saved. Horatio Spafford got the message, and as soon as he, he got that message, he, he got on a boat and he began to sail to the very destination to, to go pick up his wife. And as the story goes, right at the very place, in the very spot, the waters where the ship sank and his four daughters died, he wrote these words. <sighs> see if I can get it out. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Ratio and Anna, now this is the rest of the story. I did not know. They went on to have three more children, but at age four, Horatio Jr. died of scarlet fever. So you may think, well, surely by now he's had enough of serving this God. I mean, look, look if, if God is a friend like that, I don't need friends like that. I mean, I mean surely he's going to quit, a, he's going to abandon this God because, I mean, God has let him down. God has disappointed him. I mean, four daughters, now a son have perished, and, and yet this is what Horatio and Anna did. They packed their bags and they moved to Jerusalem. They moved to Israel. And there they started a ministry called the American Colony. And in 1914, during World War I, when it broke out in the midst of just carnage and devastation, people made their way to the American colony in Jerusalem, and they created orphanages, they created soup kitchens and hospitals, and many people's lives were saved because Horatio Spafford said, it is well with my soul. So that is a struggle, and all of us are going to have our struggles. Uh, I just so powerfully, this, this song that they sang just a moment ago, I, I, I know that you weren't able to, to, to really grasp and, and listen to, to the words, and so I'm going to read them to you again. And I say that because I, I know we're sitting down, and we're, we're, you know, we're just kind of getting acclimated and situated, and, and we're singing, and the songs are rolling, the, 
the script is rolling, but, but we miss it, but I want you to hear it. Grander earth has quaked before, moved by the sound of His voice. Seas that are shaken and stirred can be calmed and broken for my regard. Whew. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. Through it all, through it all, it is well. Far be it from me to not believe, even when my eyes cannot see. Far be it from me not to believe when my eyes cannot see. And this mountain that's in front of me will be thrown into the midst of the sea. Now, this is a smaller, uh, I mean, a, a, a younger crowd when I watched this on YouTube. And when that lady sang that line, that place went crazy. They just started erupting in praise. I mean, just this raw, guttural emotion. When she sang those words, and this mountain that's in front of me, it will be thrown in the midst of the sea. These young guys, about 20, 25 years of age, is just raw, pure, powerful worship to God, thanking God that He's the God who calms the seas and throws our mountains into the midst of it. So let go, my soul. I love that part. So let go, my soul, and trust in Him. The waves and the wind still know His name. Powerful. The waves and the wind still know His name. Thank you, Lord. So number two in our message, and you follow along in your outline there, number one is the struggle. Number two is the solution. The psalmist, though broken over many sorrows, he knew deep down inside what the answer was, better said, who the answer was in the midst of his heartache. He knows there's none other that he can turn to for help, to a sage, to, to, to minister, to be that balm, to be that healing, to, to ameliorate the situation, to improve it, to to lift his soul out of despair, to, to be an anchor, to be a rock, to be a life preserver that, that he could launch onto as the sea billows, as they are rolling over his life and over his soul. He looks up and he says, it is you, O oh God. You are, and you alone are my solution. And so he gives praise to God. He, he thanks God. It reminds me of Hebrews 13, 15, where it talks about, therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise. The sacrifice of praise to God, that, that means the fruit of our lips as we give thanks to His name. In verse 6, he, he does some geographical stuff with us, and, and if you don't know some of the topography and the geography of Palestine and the Holy Land, verse 6 might be lost on you. But let, let, me, let me try to explain this, or let me, some of my research, let me let it explain. It says, quote, the mountainous region and the tribe of Dan refers to the place from which the psalmist prayed. Now, you know, in the Bible, it talks about Israel from Dan to the north to Beersheba in the south. In the north of Dan, there's, there's the mountainous range known as Mount Hermon. Okay, keep that in mind. But in Jerusalem is Mount Zion. This writer goes on to say, the psalmist was apparently miles north of the Sea of Galilee. Yet he longed to be not on Mount Mizar, which is a peak mountain in the Mount Hermon range, but he longed to be on Mount Zion. That's powerful. And the geography has a lot of theology to it. What he says, what he's saying is, I am not on the mount. I am not in Jerusalem. I am not where I want to be. I am 
estranged. I am alienated. I am geographically disposed. I am north of Dan. I am north of where I need to be. And I'm and up here on this Mizar. Mizar. I wonder if there's a play on words. It's like he's in misery. I don't want to be up here in Mitzar. I want to be where you are, God. I want to be where the people of God are. I want to be back in Jerusalem. So he's crying out to God. His soul is being lifted up to God. Anybody relate to that? Is anybody here today in a place you should not be? Are you north of where you need to be? Are you in the center of God's will? Hey, listen, when the waves and the billows, when they roll and when you're out of God's will, I mean, that's, that's really tough. It's tough when you're in God's will, but it's especially tough when you are not where you're supposed to be. When faced with insurmountable odds, unassailable mountains, and impregnable forces, the psalmist said, In you, O God, I will put my trust. Before you sail to a safe harbor, you have to know where it is. Before you can find your resolution, before you can find your peace, you have to know the direction. You you have to know the source. You have to know the solution to your struggle or your problem. And I just love the psalmist. he is just gut-wrenching honest. I don't know who his friends were, but I don't like them. Amen? I mean, he's got some he, he has friends like this. Who needs enemies? I mean, his, his friends, his buddies are saying so. I mean, they were antagonizing. Where's your God? I mean, why are you going to keep trusting in God? Where, you know, A.W. Tozier wrote these words. He said, when God is your main attraction, do not anticipate great crowds. <laughs> when God's your main attraction... When you're focused on the Lord and not on performance and on greater, you know, things, when you're, you're focused on the greatest thing, on God, don't, don't anticipate everybody pitching in and calling you blessed and, and the crowds thronging to you. It reminds me of Jesus in John chapter 6. You're talking about sorrow. You're talking about a struggle. I mean, Jesus is preaching, and man, He is one popular man. I tell you, people are thronging to him, and he's feeding them right and left. And I mean, there is a swell of 20 plus thousand people as he feeds the 5,000 men. And, and when he walks away from that, he begins to talk to the people about some hard sayings about what it means to really know Jesus and to deny your life, to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Ooh, what does that mean? Is, is that some kind of cannibalistic Christianity? No. He's just saying, no, you must, you must take my life upon your life so that my life becomes your life. It's almost as if you are eating flesh and drinking blood, and you follow me, and you serve me, and you're even willing to die for me. Do you still want to follow me? And boy, people started going, check you later, let me get out of here. That guy's crazy. That guy's a radical. Man, that guy's talking about, a, that's, I'm just not with that. And, and the apostles, they look at Jesus, and they're like, what's going on? Look at the crowds. They're, they're leaving us. You're not going to be this popular, cool Messiah anymore, feeding everybody. Man, what, what's going on? And Jesus looked at him and said, well, Peter, do you want to leave too? That's a good question. Do you want to leave? Everybody else is leaving. And I love what Peter says. Peter gets it. He, he's in the struggle, but he knows what the solution is. He says, oh, no. He says, I'm not leaving because you alone hold the words of eternal life. Brilliant response. I want to close today with uh, this word resolution, and I'm making a distinction between the solution and the resolution. The solution maybe is the cognitive, it's the intellectual, it's the academic. We know that. But the resolution is more 
the application. It's more, not, not only do I get it in the theoretical realm, but now I'm beginning to get this in my heart and in my soul. There's the struggle, the solution is God, but what do I do about it? How, how do I apply this knowledge to my life? And in verse 5 is the answer, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you so disquieted within me? Here it is, hope in God. I said earlier that this word is the, in the verb tense in the Hebrew, uh, hifil, it probably doesn't mean anything to you, but it's an intense way of, of almost talking to himself. It's almost like he, he comes to himself and says, hope in God. That's it? Self? Trust in the Lord. You have been, your eyes have been on the struggle. Your eyes have been on the waves. You, you've gotten your eyes off of the source. Okay, yes, it is God. He alone is my help. And so apply that knowledge. Believe upon Him. Hope in Him. And the word hope here literally means to wait upon God with expectancy. To wait with a sense of, of belief. To wait not in despair, but to wait and say, God, you will, you will come through. And he says it there in verse 5. And then he says, I'm going to praise Him, and He is my help. And you see it again in verse 11, and then finally again in 43, 5. One writer puts it this way as he is describing this dual psalm. Really, there's no break between 42 and 43. It's just one continuous psalm when he says, these two psalms comprise the prayer of a believer who wrestled and struggled with doubt and depression, but he finally rested his case with God. He rested his case with God. So in your struggle, I want to ask you today, what, what, is God, what is God saying to you? What is God teaching you through His Word today? I don't know what your struggle is. I don't know what your problem is. I don't know your difficulty. But I do know the solution. And that's not haughty. That's not arrogance. It's just speaking the truth. I do know the solution. And the solution is a person. And the way you tap into that person's ability and his energy and his power is you hope in him. You trust in him. You have faith in him. And faith is the substance, the evidence of things hoped for and the evidence of things not even yet seen. A couple of weeks ago when I was... Um, in a prayer meeting, and by the way, it's good for preachers to go to prayer meetings, amen? We, we need to go to prayer meetings. And it was a citywide uh, prayer meeting, and, and I want to close my message with sharing something with you that the, Lord, that the Lord showed me about us, about our church, and I hope this encourages you, but I also want to share this with you because I believe it gives some very tangible, practical ways that you can hope in God. I'm, I want to move from exegesis and exposition for a moment, and I just want to be just very practical with you and just share some things with you. I've got just a couple minutes. I wanted to take a couple minutes to say this. In this prayer meeting, I wrote down this word. I said, God, what are we doing at Great Hills that we should not be doing? Or what are we not doing, God, that we need to be doing? And it's just an honest honest question, just probing the heart and the mind of God. Lord, are we doing anything in our church that we ought not to be doing, or are there things we need to be doing that we're not doing? And the Spirit of God spoke to my heart. Now, I am not claiming, you know, uh, biblical authorship, I mean, no, nothing like that. I mean, it's just in my heart, in my spirit, I felt the Lord impress me for us and for our church, and I hope this helps you.
It's like the Spirit of God says there are three things that you need to be focused on. And I want you to make these very important in your life and in the life of Great Hills Baptist Church. And it it was these words, pray, care, and share, and celebrate. That's what God spoke to me. Pray, care, share, and celebrate. By the way, that's, that's not bad advice for those of you that are struggling. Pray, care, share with others, and celebrate what God is doing in your life. And it's very interesting. Right after that, that meeting, I was walking to a luncheon. Amen. It's a bunch of preachers. They're going to eat, okay? It's just it's what we do. We go to meetings, eat, and we pray. And we eat some more. Amen. So we're going into this. And, and the Jim Richards, a, a, a brother, a dear friend of mine, he was standing over there by himself. And, and I didn't see him over there. I was just kind of in my world. I was catching up with, with, with emails and, and texts. I mean, I turn my phone off for a minute, and I look at it, and it's just lit up. And so I'm, I'm constantly responding, yes, I'll pray for you on this. Yes, I'll be there. Yes, I'm talking. Yes, amen, amen. And, and that's just who I am. That's just what I do. And, and so I, I, I caught somebody staring at me. You, you ever been busy and somebody was staring at you? Thank you, preacher. <laughs> Preacher's talking to me. I, I, I appreciate that. I don't know if, anyhow, if, if you're, you ever done that? Yeah. You ever been doing something, people just kind of looking at you? And he looked at me and said, um, he said, how's it going? I said, it's going good. How are you? And, and he says, you know, he, just out of the blue, he says, you know, the churches that are experiencing revival, they're seeing a mighty move of God. They are churches that pray and care for one another and share with one another. That kind of got spooky on me, you know what I'm saying? I'm just like, oh, that just kind of gave me the ibby-jibbies because I was like, that's just what the Spirit told me, and now you're a human being telling me the same thing. That's kind of strange. You say, well, brother, that's just the way God does sometimes. Amen. So I received that, and he said, for example, he said, pray. When somebody asks you to pray for them, he said, in the, in the church that I just came from, this little church in Louisiana had 83 people saved. They're just in exploding in revival. God's moving in a powerful way. He said, here's what they do. If you say, pray for me, then they stop what they're doing and they pray right then. For example, I were to come up to you and say, hey, how you doing? I'm good. Can, can I pray for you? Yeah, please pray for me. My son's having this, uh, this, this procedure, this exam coming up. True story. Happened a few weeks ago. Got some heart issues. Would you pray for me? And then that church, they go, okay, let's pray right now. Dear God, we're praying in Jesus' name. I mean, it's, it's weird. It's kind of strange, but it's awesome. Pray and care for one another and share. And what he means by share, and what I believe the Spirit of God was telling me, is share your story. Share the gospel. Tell people about how awesome God, God is. And then finally, it's just this word of celebrate, celebration. You know, there's so many amazing good things going on at Great Hills. And I, I tell you, I am guilty, church. I need to do a better job of bragging on the Lord and bragging on you of some of the things that God is doing in our church. For, for example, just a little one. Just a couple of weeks ago, Kate McDonald shared with me that there, she had been praying for her sister, 40. The sister is 40 plus years of age. And this sister just prayed and gave her life to Christ. Isn't that amazing? I mean, y'all would have never, we would never know that unless we. And Kyle, to see you baptized, Jennifer, what a story, what a journey, praise God. I mean, that is a journey. It's an amazing, I mean, there was so much wrapped up in in that. And so to celebrate more of what God is doing uh, in our lives. And I tell you, this will help you. If you're in a struggle and if you're, you're, in a, you're in the despair, 
when you hope in God, you get your eyes off of your problems and get your eyes on Jesus, get your eyes on the promises of Jesus, I tell you, He begins to, to lift you up. You may be here today and you say, well, I tell you, that's a lot of spiritual talk and that's kind of scared me too, you know, God telling you the same thing somebody else told you. Well, how, do you how do you know this God? How do you, how do you have a relationship with Him? I, I'm very interested. Can you tell me how that happens? I'd be honored to tell you. Here's how it goes. There is a God. And He loves you very much. It's a God of all gods, King of all kings. He is the one who created this world. He created you with all your quirks, with all your personality, with all your gifts, all the amazing things you have in your life. God gave those to you. He crafted you because He loves you very much. And yet the Bible tells us that of our own volition, of our own wills, we sin against God. We, we turn our backs to God. We, we make bad choices. And we we do things that we, you know, we know in our heart we shouldn't do them, but it's like, man, I, I just can't help myself. I just keep going back and doing those same things. And those things are actually harmful to me, but I, I just don't have the power to say no to temptation. Well, the Bible says you're separated from God. And there's this great chasm between a holy, awesome God, the solution, and here you are in your struggle. But here's the good news. In Jesus Christ, in the Son of God, He died on the cross for you. He took all of your sin, all of my sin, on the cross. He paid the penalty. He paid the debt so that me and my struggle and my sin could be bridged and be reconciled to a holy God. You say, that sounds too good to be true, but it is that true. And here you say, well, how do I tap into that? Man, what do I pay for that? What do I got to do to get And here's the amazing thing. It's not cheap, but it's free. And you just say, God, I am a sinner. I do need you in my life. I, I know I have messed up. And by the way, if you say, man, I've messed up, welcome to the human race. You know what I'm saying? We all mess up. We all sin. We all fall short, the Bible says. And, and, and that's, that's just the way it is. But don't stay there. Just don't say, man, I'm just miserable. I'm just sinful. Go to God. I will hope in God. I will trust in God. I will say, God, here I am. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And God says, bam, I forgive you. I love you. And I welcome you into my family. And that's the way it is. That's salvation. And I invite you to do that today. Well, on Mother's Day, hallelujah. Make your grandmama happy. Make your mama happy. Give your life to Jesus Christ and start walking with Him and start serving Him. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that it's, Lord, it is health to our bones. It is life to our flesh. And we are grateful for the Word of God. Thank You, Lord, for the psalmist. Thank You, Lord, for His transparency, for His struggle, because we all struggle. Lord, we struggle in the mental realm, the physical realm the sexual realm, the intellectual realm, financial realm, family realm. We, we, we just, we struggle, God. We are a people of struggle. But God, thank you that we don't have to stay in our struggle with sea billows rolling over us, that there is a rock, there is hope. There is hope. The wind and the waves, they still know God's name. They recognize His commanding presence and voice. So I pray for you today, my friend, that even at this moment, whatever your problem, whatever your struggle is, you will take it to the Lord in prayer and you will leave it with Him. The Bible says, casting all your care upon Him because He truly cares for you. And I pray that before, before we even close this service, that you will give your heart to Christ and you will surrender your life to Him. Listen, you, you can't clean your life up, then come to God. It doesn't work that way. Somebody said one time, you got to catch fish first, put them in your boat, then you clean them. And that, that's a good word.
Come to Jesus just as you are. Be willing to change. Be willing to repent and say, God, I can't do it on my own, but I give you my life. And that's where God takes over. And He saves you. He changes you. He, he fills you with His Holy Spirit. And I'm inviting you to do that today. Give your life to the Lord today. You say, how do I do it? The Bible says, call upon Him. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. They will be rescued when you call upon Him in faith and trust in Him. Others of you today, bless you, love you. You are faithful. You love God. You serve God. But you, like this psalmist, you are in a desert. You're in a difficult place. And I just want to come alongside you and encourage you. Just let you know that God sees, God knows, God cares. I know it seems like He's gone silent on you. I know it seems that He's gone distant on you, but He hasn't. The Bible says, where can I flee from your presence? Where can I run from the presence of God? I cannot. He's ubiquitous. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere. And so call out to Him today. Trust in Him today. Father, we give you praise. We are so thankful that you are with us, that you have not left us as orphans, left us alone. I thank you, Lord, for these precious moms and these grandmothers, these, these ladies, God. They, they are spiritual rocks, Lord. They are strong and sturdy, godly women. Thank you, Lord, for the godly wife that you have given me, the godly mom and grandmothers that you have blessed me with, women that model the Christian life, faith that it's not easy, but it all is so worth it, Lord, if we would just keep our eyes on you and focus on you. So, Lord, we pray today during our invitation, we ask you, Lord, to draw people to yourself. Father, I pray that you would draw people to Great Hills Baptist Church, that we would be a church, Lord, that is radiant and on fire and growing and reaching this city and the cities of this world with the gospel. Bless our invitation. God, I pray that people would feel free to pray, to come to the altar, to talk with someone, to just talk to you, to, to be in prayer, to be in fellowship. I pray, God, for this sacred time that you would bless it. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. I invite you to stand with me, if you would. We'll sing a song, a hymn of invitation. I invite you to come. We'll have pastors and we'll have biblical counselors here that will encourage you in the Word of God and the Lord. Somebody said a burden shared is half as heavy. And a joy shared, well, it's doubled. And so maybe you'll come today and let your burdens be cut in half. God bless you as you come.